Hello and welcome to Champion Casters, a podcast about heroes and craft where we analyze the motifs and themes behind our favorite film and television heroes and everything we say is in Comic Sans. My name is Joe Tomlin. I am your host for this evening. And I'm your co-host, Michael Ruiz. That's right. We just delineated between host and co-host. <laughs> I'm the captain now, Michael. <laughs> you are the mentor in this in this uh, dynamic. Yeah, for today and today alone, which is yeah. why I need to prepare you with a question. Mm-hmm. What can be special about a hero with no powers? Uh, this is something that I always feel mixed about because this is this is like something I feel like I get frustrated a lot with in fiction. And this is just genre fiction in general, where it's like, here's our universal power set, except for the one person who doesn't have powers. And that's their thing. They don't have powers. Their their superpower is they don't blend into the fiction. <laughs> Which, like, I understand it sometimes. But like I said, that that's why I like ideas where you don't have no superpowers. Sometimes you just have a uh, bad superpower. But we'll save that for an X-Men podcast. Uh what do you talk about? There isn't a single X-Men character that doesn't have bad superpowers. <laughs> it's They're like... all phenomenal. Soft Serve is the best superhero of mm-hmm. all time. Mm-hmm. Shitting ice cream. <laughs> it's kind of like the, um, it's kind of like the, there are no bad Pokemon designs where it's just people like tanking a bunch of arrows and they're all a bunch of, they're like Stunfisk vanilla, you know? <laughs> Garbodor. Garbodor. Yeah. Um, but I, I think more seriously... I do think that there's an attention to be with with heroes with no powers and no tropes that there can be just a refocus on a different like verb set and kind of a different power set functionally. And it's like a way of showing like kind of martial art prowess in ways that like I also think can be really cool and sick. And so it's a way to just kind of add some fresh kind of like levity to the space and also free up the the writer to do something uh, a little more grounded, maybe not as bombastic. And it kind of takes those like ethereal stakes of like what is magic out of the question but that's what i think what do you think joe um to go back to your original point the idea of having these characters can kind of break the fiction in a way you have Mm -hmm. other characters like batman where the fiction kind of revolves around them at a certain point exactly so i think with like the the idea of a hero without powers it could present a really interesting challenge when you're in this universe Mm -hmm. and we'll be talking about that bore this episode uh, Mm -hmm. given our subject but i think for the most part the reason why i think we engage in superhero fiction or genre fiction of any kind is because we want to play with this idea of a power fantasy Mm -hmm. so having someone like that like there needs to be a really interesting twist around it let's Mm -hmm. take avatar the last airbender for an example we have a character like sokka where his power is that he's a tool and so <laughs> and he likes to use tools he likes to he likes to use a boomerang a hammer um and a sword and basically he has to deal with his insecurity around that the insecurity mm-hmm. of of basically existing within that genre fiction yeah. and that's interesting that mm-hmm. i think became an interesting arc for Sokka. yeah so within our new show that we're talking about today hawkeye we have two characters who are trying to exist in a superpowered world which is the mcu <laughs> yes now now michael what could you tell us about this show well i can tell you a good amount i can tell you that it was directed by reese thomas and burton birdie and it was the main lead writer on it was jonathan igla the main actors of this series are Haley steinfeld playing kate bishop uh vera Farmiga playing eleanor bishop Tony Dalton playing, uh, oh boy. Jack. His name's Jack. <laughs> Jacques. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aliqua Cox playing Echo. I am sorry, Maya Lopez. <laughs> both. Why not? Both. She plays both. Uh, yeah. Uh, mini spoiler alert hidden the uh, areas a little ahead of time. Uh, Florence Pugh as Yelena again, coming back again. And cool. unfortunately, we do have Jeremy Ren here as Clint Barton Hawkeye again. Yeah, there are a few other actors, but we're going to save that for later in our episode. But yes, this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode. So this is your warning. We talk spoilers on this podcast. That's what we do. So yeah. do you want to give us the quick little rundown of the plot, Joe? Yeah, sure. So the series follows Kate Bishop uncovering the mystery behind her mother's dealings with crime lords in New York, New York City. A lot of this 
taking place at Rockefeller Center, but we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. thinks she's being coerced into this like power marriage with Jack, so she tries her best to get to end the engagement. But during this process, uh, she kind of dons the suit of Ronan, the uh, known vigilante murderer from mm-hmm. uh, Avengers Endgame, I believe. It's when Clint Barton had that really awful mohawk cut. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. So Clint Barton's like, oh, shit, that's my suit. And then stops her. The series mm-hmm. then turns into like this reluctant uh, mentor mentee story where Clint must confront the sense of his past as Ronan. Kate must confront the past of her family and it all takes place during Christmas. So you get yep. some fun show tunes. Yep. We get some fun show tunes and we get some uh, low key diehard feels uh, as Clint Barton brushes through a uh, just slowly decaying building. <laughs> yep. Now this, this, this story is like uh, one in the lo- another series or entry in this uh, MCU's uh, dive into like what are essentially prolonged televised movies and boy, mm-hmm. does it does it seem to show that. I was just even looking up beforehand. They were talking about how, like, even how I think Reese Thomas described, like, directing is it does feel like you're directing a really long movie at times, both given, like, the production, um, like, the production budget and just, like, the sheer amount of, like, uh, like time and stuff that's, like, spent on it and keeping it kind of hush-hush. It does feel like you're just working on a really, really long movie. Uh, even if it's if it's technically a show at the end of it. So we mentioned at the top of this, this was written by Jonathan Igla. Mm-hmm. Now, when you encounter television, for the most part, when you're dealing with episodes, normally you have a set of writers and directors working on an individual episode. But for this show in particular, it's the same mm-hmm. team throughout. And mm-hmm. that functions more like filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the weirdest problems with the MCU's uh, Disney Plus show so far. Mm-hmm. is that they do treat it much more like filmmaking and that can mess up the pacing a little bit yeah uh, i'm not sure if you uh happen to listen to our episode if you happen to listen to our episode from last season talking about falcon and the winter soldier you could hear us complaining about that there yeah um but that that show in particular had covid to deal with as well so they rewrote half the show or half the movie, which is the length of a very short show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this, with Hawkeye, this show tackles what what's it like to just be a person with a bow and arrow mm-hmm. and dealing with very street-level, bro-y, um, yeah. tracksuit mafia crime, crime mm-hmm. bros. It's bro. Bro, it's bro. bro. It's bro, dude. <laughs> bro, they're just they're just fighting crime bro they just got to feed yeah. the family bro go to go bro. to the imagine dragons concert bro yeah sure k bishop is guy bro <laughs> yeah k bishop is guy. <laughs> yeah a a weird a we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bounce around a lot here but yeah let's get into that first let's talk about this like kind of low power stakes movie or oh, shit <laughs> tv series because yeah i do think that this is something that i think we want that you and i talk about a lot and that this is a movie fuck this show is trying to do this show is trying to be like a low stakes story it is just about clint trying to get back to his family it's just about kate trying to kind of impress clint the entire time it's a very intimate relationship between the two of them and i really like it for that sense i don't Mm -hmm. feel like it has a a firm grasp on it all the time and i don't think like large parts of it like we'll be fully transparent this episode's mostly about kate bishop so i'm going to try to keep the conversation mostly about her but man because Jeremy Renner does not, or Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton does not have a, a thorough enough characterization to those scenes where she is trying to play into his heroism specifically and be like, like, hey, this is what you represent to me. This is what you meant to me. God, all those scenes felt a little bit flat to me because I'm like, what, what hero are you talking about? Clint Barton's just this guy that like, he's just guy, bro. He's just, he's just a guy with a bow and arrow. And I think, as you said off mic when we first started watching this show, he's just a guy who kind of gets, like, one zinger every single Avengers movie, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's frustrating how Clint has been written inconsistently. Clint, in each film leading up to this, has been written for the film, not necessarily for the character, which is the opposite of people like Steve and Tony. So... Yeah, it's a little it's a little annoying to get here and to be expected to believe that this character is a long established hero who's played by a brilliant actor. Uh, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, both are not true. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's true. 
I will, I will, I mean, I'll get up front. Like, my biggest beef with this show is Jeremy Renner's acting as Hawkeye. Because I think Hawkeye and the way they try to character characterize him for this particular show is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you as we mentioned, it's not consistent, which is yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. That that's just what we should come to expect of this character now. Mm-hmm. But the problem is Jeremy Renner seems to be phoning it in the entire time. He's doing a real whatever job. He gives he gives a very apathetic performance. And I understand that what we're getting is a character who's tired, but mm-hmm. it feel it comes more across like the actor is tired. <laughs> yes. Now that's my own beef with that. Yeah. Um Kate, on the other hand, as you mentioned earlier, is a much more interesting and fun and energetic character. Haley Steinfeld at, feels like an actress who is mm-hmm. very excited to be a part of this universe and play these characters. She seems yeah. to be having fun. A much yeah. like the bros of the tracksuit mafia. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna make this comparison later. Uh that she reminds me like this version of Kate Bishop, and we'll we'll talk about this later when we get a little more into it, but like this version of Kate Bishop is not what I imagine comic book Kate Bishop to be. She really reminds me a lot more of Stephanie Brown, the spoiler from from uh, Batman comics. And it's just in the same way, like when we're talking about these kind of low power stakes, as competent as this version of Kate Bishop is, she's really kind of a bruiser at times that she's kind of like taking the hits and kind of rolling with it in ways that I really like. You know, we really get to see her stumble and bumble her way through all of this and also get, in, you know, get scenes where she's like deliberately like not winning. Like, mm-hmm. man, like, I, how often is it do I have to think to myself, like, man, I love scenes where I get to watch the hero kind of get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> like, and and that's, like, the, the stuff that makes, I think, low-power scenes or slow-power superhero stuff so interesting is because, yeah, like, they they have a limit. They have such a limit to what they're capable of. You know, I think kind of what you were talking about at the beginning of this, like, the other big low-power person we think of is Batman, Right. But Batman's, like, all exceptionalism. He's all, like, you know, I, but I'm the 1%, literally. I'm, like, the 1% person who beats everything, you know, just, I knew, I knew dude. I'm Shazam. the smartest guy, I lift the most most weights, and I mm-hmm. have the most money, and I have the most bitches, and that's Batman. That's, that's true. just Batman, and the way in which he presents himself, and the way in which people envision him. Mm-hmm. He's got a fucking soft 10, like, you know, that's just Batman, bro. And... I think the thing, you know, and that's and that could be fine if you really want to tell that story. You know, we see versions of that all the time. That's like you could even say that's what what an Indiana Jones story is. But I do think I much much prefer this version of of like Haley Steinfeld's performance of Kate Bishop, where she very much is like when she crashes through a window, she kind of like falls and like falls onto the glass and like hurts her knee, and it's like oh shit, this hurt a lot more than I was expecting. Or when she gets stuck in the middle of the zip line, like. This looks so much easier. It just makes it, it makes her like uh, endearing and fun to watch. It makes action scenes a lot more interesting. It makes her feel more like an actual character. It makes her feel like like a kid who's caught in over her head. You know, I'm getting flashbacks to our Spider-Man episode already, Joe. I guess we weren't talking about this. <laughs> I was just about to say, what, isn't it great when in storytelling you have stakes? Mm-hmm. Isn't it great when there are consequences for actions? <laughs> it's just, it's the best, dude. Yeah. And it fits for the characterization. And it fits mm-hmm. for the narrative that we're telling about a character who is trying to enter this world, this world that she is idealized. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly everything she has expected it to be. But yeah, it, this feels like a low powered version of what we were experiencing with uh, Spider Man No Way Home. Yeah. What, and this, I think, is where. My, my take from earlier comes into play and that spider-man as a character is great because he is that genre fiction but we feel the consequences we mm-hmm. feel the stakes and the tension that come from this character struggling yeah um, but what's making hawkeye and this show much more interesting is the ground level action that they have to fight and like you said the idea that she gets stuck on a zip line um, we could talk about how they're arguing and fighting during the car chase in episode three yeah. and trying to fumble totally. to get the right arrows to and send the right arrows off. We get the fun um, trick arrows and different types of arrows that are being sent out, things that we wouldn't expect, you know, mm-hmm. things in genre fiction. We still have the fact that this is a young woman who's trying her damn best. <laughs> yeah, she's. That's like the best part about it, right? And it's also like, you know, ultimately she still comes out on top because yep. that's just, that's ultimately what I want to see. I don't want to see her fail. I just want to nope. see, I just want to see my hero kind of struggle a little bit. 
And I think mm-hmm. there's like a there's like a clever balance. Like, and this is true of Kate Bishop in the in the in the comics too. She's a little bit more competent there, I think, and a little more put together than this than this iteration. But I do think it, it really serves this relationship as a whole because, like we like mentioned during the top of this, it is a mentor mentee relationship. She naturally, being the mentee, kind of has to learn something, right? And I think mm-hmm. a large part of those lessons, you know, weirdly are part of like in in tandem with like all the Christmas stuff, is weirdly materializing what what is specific about like her relationship to Hawkeye and like why she is like why she wants to be like this superhero in her brain like why mm-hmm. she wants to be this person who 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 does these like super who like kind of aspires to these super heroics because mm-hmm. that scene in in episode 4 when uh Yelena first shows up and she kind of cuts Kate Bishop off the side of the uh offside of the uh the building, whatever they're on, uh, you know, she has that moment of like kind of like internal freaking out of like, oh my god, like I almost just like died, died. Mm-hmm. And just like that, seeing that panic. One, Haley Steinfeld's an amazing actress, so good at what she does. Mm-hmm. But like seeing that, just like utter panic in her eyes of just like, oh no, I'm, I'm now I'm like, I'm there's being it over my head, and there's oh, I just almost died. And I think she plays it so well to to getting her to realize just how big of a, a bite she's chewed off you know mm-hmm. and i think that does a lot for her characterization and does a lot for once again getting back to those like kind of like uh those like low level stakes of like it's just about her trying to uh trying to live up to this mantle a little bit yeah absolutely this this feels like a little bit of a contrast from what we know of the character from the comic books Mm-hmm. And I think now is a good time to kind of mention what's going on with this show as a whole. Oh, yes, yes, yes. For those of you who don't know, um, this show is inspired by a very specific Hawkeye comic book mm-hmm. that's enti- that's just titled Hawkeye. It's written by Matt Fraction and uh, drawn by David Aja. Mm-hmm. And the all the visual aesthetics that are coming from the intro, the the intro the credit the end credits yeah um you know the the purple scenery the way in which new york is depicted the tracksuit mm-hmm. bros the dog every like this is all from that run and that yeah. run doesn't really get a lot of credit and david aja specifically isn't getting a lot of credit for his art mm-hmm. and basically the mar- the marketing team at disney basically just ripped them off entirely just yeah stole his art essentially yeah. and that's a little frustrating Mm-hmm. On top of that, the narrative itself kind of flips from that comic book run, and that Kate's a bit more of the serious character, and Hawkeye's the bit of the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it that that's like huge, right? Like, and I should I should clarify, they're both Hawkeye. They're both yeah. Hawkeye in the show. They're both Hawkeye in the comics. Yeah, um, I agree. Clint Clint is a schlub in the comics. Yeah. Yeah, like, once again, going back to that allegory we used earlier, is it exceptionalism or is it insecurity? That mm-hmm. run really plays up. No, being low power, low level stake is insecurity for them both. Like, they mm-hmm. both have insecurity about the, 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 the weight that they can throw behind their punches. And that's a big part of it. And, like, they both need to get over that for that run to be as good as it was. Uh, but I totally agree. This is something that Disney has done plenty of times. I don't know if it's ever been this deliberate. Like, we you know, we had the whole House of M with WandaVision, but, like, man, there are, there are like, straight-up one-for-one, like, jokes and, like, lines mm-hmm. that they just straight-up lifted from, from, the, from the run. Like you said, the iconography of it. That it feels like a damn shame that they're not getting more credit or even a paycheck for this. Right. Because, like, man, the, the stuff that I think looks most interesting, and then when I went and read that comic, I'm like... Oh, this, you're just, you're just you just you know copy and paste it like that's a, this isn't even like a this isn't even like a take on it. This is just <laughs> let's get back. You did change it a little bit. I think you made it a slight, I think you made it a little bit more boring because as you said, you know, changing their dynamic as uh, of of Clint being this kind of like very tired, grizzled, grumpy dad is just not only do we see that all the time in the MCU specifically. But also, mm-hmm. that's just the most simplistic way of viewing his relationship with Kate Bishop. Because I think Kate Bishop, you know, she's kind of meant to be this like, kind of spoiled, rotten, rich girl. And the part of him that that, that Clint 
really like is not afraid to share his title with her is because she's better at him than what at what he does. She's like better at him in like every single way, and he kind of thinks the world of her. And so, kind of like a like a spoiled daughter, he like lets her do whatever she wants, and like is like proud to also call her Hawkeye because he's like, wow, you're so much better at doing what I do. You do what I do, but way better. And so he kind of like thinks the world of her. It's not like a reluctant thing. Hence mm-hmm. why Kate even says in the comic book, uh, when someone yells at uh, her to be like, you should stop hanging out with Clint Barton. She says like, well, I don't hate out. I don't hang out with Clint. Clint hangs out with me. <laughs> and it's like the best part. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's Kate Bishop. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's also like their mentor mentee relationship. We're going to get off Spider-Man eventually, but it is kind of like, the Spider-Verse thing where it's like Peter B. Parker has just as much to learn from Miles as Miles has to learn from him. And I don't think in this story that is like a mentor-mentee relationship, we get that right dynamic. It's just Kate Bishop trying to convince Clint the entire time that you are what you are what I think you are. And like, of course, she has to, you know, just those expectations somewhat, but it is about Clint Barton also rising to the occasion. And, and, and living up to what she personifies him as, or idealizes him as. I mean, sort of. I I, I don't think it's good. <laughs> I mean, like, that's one of the layers that's going on here. I think mm-hmm. that plays second and th- actually third fiddle. First and mm-hmm. foremost, this is a narrative about her confronting her family. Second, mm-hmm. this is about him confronting um, his past as a killer. Mm-hmm. And then it's about whether or not he he actually is a hero. Mm-hmm. It's about him getting over that grief and yeah. him getting over that guilt. Yeah. Which I think is a very interesting angle. If I were writing the show, that's the angle I would take. But then adding Kate Bishop to this mix and the way in which they characterize her in this show, which, by the way, I want to be on the record. I really like it. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just doesn't quite mesh that well together. And then it feels even more awkward when jeremy runner is basically sleeping so (laughs) i yeah so i'm 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 sitting here and just enjoying Haley steinfeld having a good time and yeah having much more fun when she's interacting with yelena yeah um having more fun when clint is interacting with yelena having Mm -hmm. more fun when we get um echo and her backstory yeah oh poor echo I know. Um, I guess that that does lead into a little bit of a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Echo's story ends with her getting free of her boss, mm-hmm. who happens to be Wilson Fisk, played by Vincent, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Do you have do you have thoughts on this, Joe? I do have thoughts on this. Vincent D'Onofrio is an amazing Wilson Fisk. He's great. Mm-hmm. Why he's involved in this show, I don't quite know. I, I mean, like, other than, agree. Other than other than like setting up echo and Echo's going to get her own show at some point which is very cool it does feel weird because the stakes of this show feel very personal and grounded to like these specific families and then to add the kingpin who's supposed to be the kingpin of all underground crime of new york city he just happens to care about this one family drama like that's yeah two family dramas rather um yeah. echoes and um and kate bishop hawkeye's so it's it, it does feel a little odd, especially if you're someone like me who really enjoy the Daredevil series and knows that Kingpin has his fingers everywhere and he's very high level. Mm-hmm. If he's going to get personal with anyone, it's Matt. Yeah. So it did feel a little off-putting. But on the other hand, I really did enjoy his fight with Kate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's one, of the, it's one of the coolest fights I think we've probably gotten in one of these Marvel uh, Marvel TV shows. Once again, of Kate kind of like, like kind of think her way out of this situation. Kind of it's more by her own quick thinking and clever, kind of clever minded and her like own unique way of seeing the world that she's able to kind of beat him in several ways of her not even using arrows as they're intended. You know, her having to kind of like run up against him several times. It is narratively two things of he does not see her as a threat so she can use that to his advantage. And oh, look. She has actually learned something at this point, and she knows how to take advantage of those small things, of everyone's like kind of like low expectations of her, and ca- and like kind of capitalize on all of that. And it really makes it like a, even if it's a uh, relatively slow fight, it makes it a really interesting one, and one that's kind of you know, even if it makes uh, 
a clear sense of where it's going. I think the choreography does a lot in that moment to not only make Vincent not because Vincent Nofrio is kind of he's just huge in general. He's just a big guy, uh, mm-hmm. but like his like overbearing presence uh, over Kate kind of like shines that much more. It really makes him look like the uh, the kingpin as he's drawn in the comic books, where he's more like uh, rectangular. I'll say mm-hmm. it's cool. Yeah, he's often referred to as the big guy in the show. Yeah, you know, think think this giant black box that walks in on screen in spider-verse like it's that but in a white tux and a hawaiian shirt <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. oh wow yeah like i want to i want to go back to something that you mentioned real quick that is the the element of family here because mm-hmm. i feel like that is the thing that they're really trying to pull on with this christmas story right yeah it's like kind of inter- interpersonal drama of i have this problem that's like affecting my family and in mm-hmm. Kate's in Kate's case, her mom is literally involved with Kingpin, and she's kind of like uh, one of his like right hand people. And so it's her having to kind of acknowledge that. And much like any family story during the holidays, there's going to be a little bit of fighting. And so the alternative to this too is Clint, who's just trying to get back to his family because his family is kind of just off on the sidelines the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like they're like involved with the show, but they're also not. And there's also, like, the family of, you know, Kate and Clint, too, of them being forced to kind of spend this little quick holiday moment together. And I think that's a little too much family for this family show, you know? (laughs) It's like, they're trying to squeeze, they're trying to make, you gotta pick one. (laughs) You gotta pick one and make it your focus. You know, it's, I think, a little bit too much to ask to to have all of these, because I think, like, Clint's family in particular, they're just there. They're just there, like, and they get a scene, like, once per episode for, like, two to three minutes, and they're mm. they're really just on the sidelines the entire time. Yeah, which is frustrating because I think that's where Clint, at, like, Clint is also better and Jeremy is better at acting. Agreed. I think when Jeremy's interacting with the family, it feels like a dad who's frustrated that he has to go to work, and that work is, is ugly. It, it does feel underdeveloped. It feels underappreciated within the show. Which is why I think it tries to focus mostly on Kate's. Mm-hmm. And that's for better or for worse. I think we get too many scenes where Kate is going back and just being like, Jack's a bad guy. I agree. Um, I think he's a bad guy. And then mommy's like, hush, hush, I'm the bad guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the other side of this too, right? Like, There's also, I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot. There's a fourth family dynamic of the three of them. Mm-hmm. Where or, or Jock is just like, oh, don't don't worry, I'm going to be her her new family. Uh, we're going to be her new stepdad. I wrote a whole book about this, and he's kind of just like, he's kind of like a slime ball. And then they revealed, well, he's at least harmless, right? He didn't kill someone, so you know he's kind of all good at the end, right? I don't think of him as a slime ball, but more of like an airhead. That's true. I guess he's he's just ditzy, right? He's just a really ditzy guy. He's like, oh, I I I read this thing. And mm-hmm. then he keeps using these idioms in the wrong way. And that's fine. Whatever. Maybe maybe a little bit xenophobic at times. But hey, now, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the tracksuit mafia, but that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with Jack, Jack's constantly just like he's trying. He's just not good at it. The only thing he's good at, apparently, is sword fighting mm-hmm. and just being a little charismatic. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I I guess I just have such a little affection for that style of character that I was just like, no. Like, I understand they're trying, because it's like, it naturally it makes sense that they're going to go the angle of Eleanor is ultimately the bad guy, because she's the one that has a more interesting place in the plot. I understand that makes a more interesting story. But then it's like, man, we spent so much time with this motherfucker. <laughs> no wonder he was just a one-off villain in the comic that they just, they don't kill him, but they just kind of write him off in one issue kind of thing. He's not really, like, a villain. He's supposed to be the swordsman, like, actually Hawkeye's mentor. Is he? Is that what his role is? Supposedly. Oh. Like, in the comics, that's that's that. what that character is. He's, like, it's an allusion to that. But they did what they did with Jack. And, yeah, you know, I think I think the joke can, can feel a little worn out. But I do kind of like, I do like the payoff that he actually helps fight the bad guys at the end in the finale. Mm-hmm. I like that payoff. But yes, I do think we got a little bit too much of him in the meantime. Yeah. Well, all stuff to know for now. Mm-hmm. But Joe, do you know? Do you know what we do know? 
Random trivia factoids. Random trivia factoids. So, welcome everyone again to our trivia bit corner of Champion Casters, the trivia cat. Champion trivia? Champion trivia. I hit you, everyone, a little reminder of how this works. Joe and I have prepared three questions uh, to ask each other every single episode. A little just basic trivia about uh, about whatever we watched this week. Or about like the, the actors or people involved with it. So... We're going to ask each other these questions. We're going to keep track all season to see who has more points wrong. We'll figure out some type of punishment along the way for whoever whoever has the lower score. So, Joe. If you have ideas for punishments, please oh, add yeah, us on Twitter. Us. Yeah, please. We would, love, we would love to hear what you all want to see us do. <laughs> or email us at championcasters at gmail.com. Any way of getting in touch with us. Mm-hmm. Um, send a carrier pigeon send for a car- punishment. <laughs> so, Joe, I got a question for you. Go for it. Uh, Haley Steinfeld been blowing up in 2021. You know, who would have thought? And she's huge, right? (laughs) But three notable leading characters in 2021. Obviously, one is Kate Bishop, Hawkeye. But can you name the other two this year? In 2021 specifically? In 2021 specifically. Last year. We're a pop culture film and television (laughs) podcast, and I can't name a single one. I'm the only really? the closest thing I can think of is like um um what was it 17 but that wasn't 2021. No, Edge of 17 that was Edge of 17. Yeah, that no, was No, that like, was like 2019, was right? Of, yeah. No. No, she was she was I think like 18 or 19 when she filmed that. So, well, however old what year were we 18 and 19? Cuz she's the same age as us. Uh I don't remember. It was a while ago. When that was a while ago, but that was not one of the answers. Yeah, that was what not the, the answer. So the answer were, was she's Emily Dickinson from Dickinson. Fuck. Um, and she was uh, Violet from uh, uh, the League of Legends show uh, Arcane. Of course you would know that. I don't fucking play League, Michael. I expected you to get at least uh, Dickinson. <laughs> I should <laughs> like, have gotten Dickinson. Because <laughs> people have been talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway... Uh, the second question I have is, do you know how old Haley Steinfeld was when she filmed her award-winning film, uh, True Grit? My grandmother was still alive at this moment in time because she was very excited about this movie. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Jean. She's the same age as us, so I need to think about my age mm-hmm. at that moment in time. Like with all questions, I'll give you some leeway if you're close. Uh, Twelve? I'll give it to you. She's 13. So, okay. like, she might have, like, had a birthday in the middle of that. So, you know, I'll give it mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, she was Fair 13 enough. years old when she uh, when she was in True Grit. And last question I have for you. This was this was my uh, this is my low-hanging fruit for you, bud. Uh, what teen superhero team is Kate Bishop famously a part of? Oh, the Young Avengers. That's true. Young Avengers are, are uh, young uh, queer superheroes out there to save the day. Because, never forget, the very end, one of the last panels, Kate Bishop's like, am I the only straight person on this team? To which America Chavez turns to her and says, I've seen the way you look at me. You're not that straight, Kate. (laughs) There we go. All right, but yeah, those are the questions I have prepared. Was that like one and a half points? Yes. No, it's it's two points. Two points. Two points. Michael, Two points, because I'll give you 13. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll, it's a year off. I'll give you, I'll give you that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So, now for my questions. We all know Haley Steinfeld has many, many talents. One of them being a musician. Mm-hmm. An artist of sorts. A pop star, if you will. Yes. What is the name of her debut album? Oh, God. I, mean, I thought there was going to be a music question. I thought about preparing one, but I did not... I did not look up this specifically. It's not Love Myself, is it? It is Haze. Oh. No, I would H-I- not have guessed that. H-A-I-Z Haze. I would not have guessed that. That's okay. All right. So, question number two. 
how many errors does Hawkeye, Jeremy Renner, prepare for himself or have prepared for him leading into the finale? So this is the episode when our our LARPing crew, which we haven't even oh, talked about. Oh, yeah, they all prepare, yeah, they all prepare yeah. the arrows, yeah. Uh, yeah. How many does he have? Are you talking about just the trick arrows? He he lists a number. He's like, great, I have this many arrows to go into battle. Oh, fuck. Oh, I don't know. I think it's like, is it 32? It was like 20. Yeah. I'll give it to you. It wasn't, it's not like an insane number. It's not like we're playing like D&D and he's got infinite arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, infinite spider webs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. So our final question, and I know we are dreading this person this episode, but I can't mm-hmm. help but laugh about this. What was the name of Jeremy Renner's <laughs> app? What was the name of the app based on this man's entire existence? Oh my god. I would know at one point I remember joking about this, and I do not remember the name of it. I used I used to laugh at we used we made jokes about this before. Oh god, I don't know. I like really don't. <laughs> I'm I'm Michael, I want you to give a guess. I really do think that you can get this. Is it just called Renner? I will I will give you a half point for it, because I essentially said the answer with it's just called Jeremy Renner Official. Is oh, what it's called. You're and right. literally just called his name Jeremy Renner in mm-hmm. the app store. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll give you a half point for that for sure. Okay, like, okay. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the pity point. <laughs> Like this, this man named an app after himself so you could follow his life, and he is so uninteresting that oh, it got gosh. it got canceled real fucking quick. It's just like it wasn't worth it actually. People had to pay for that app. Mm-hmm. There was an man. There was a refund issued. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Objectively, the worst Hawkeye. And you know, the only thing worse than him is this is his fucking cut in is his fucking cut, which is just CGI'd. <laughs> was his haircut CGI'd in, in yeah. Endgame? Endgame? Yeah, it was CGI. Man, that would have been a great trivia question. Yeah. Oh. I okay, I guess here's another one. Did you know that like all the arrows I don't know if all the arrows, but I saw that at least uh from what I could find, all the air nearly all the arrows in Hawkeye are CGI. Really? Yeah. So every single arrow is a fake arrow. So yeah. does that mean that the string on the bow is fake as well when they try to pull it back? No, or, the string, or are they the pulling string strings? They're okay. pulling strings. That's a big part of this is this is a this was a uh, a cut question, if you will. By the way, I think was that for me? I got like one point because I got like a half point on two of those, and you have two, and I have one. Yes. Okay, we'll do the little recap at the end of this, uh, at the end of the episode, but. Yeah, and this is a little bit into whatever. We'll just keep we'll just keep bragging about Haley Steinfeld because she's amazing. So that she uh, apparently when she when she nailed the role of uh, Kate Bishop, she went and just uh, looked up a bunch of like uh, training and practices uh, for archery. And so uh, you know, initially you know having no uh, practice in it beforehand, she started off like really uh, really you know really basic. And then slowly, you know, by the end of it, she was like a little bit apparently disappointed that that she wasn't get to shoot actual arrows because her form and everything is apparently really good. And at this point, now she just does archery for fun uh, because of like how much time she spent with it. Uh, and so as a result, all even though she never shot a real arrow, I think, I think all of her like form and everything was really good because she practiced that much for it. And that's also how I learned that the the arrows were fake. <laughs> Oh my god. She's a real life Kate Bishop. She's just great yeah. at everything. She psh, Honestly, dude? Like like she she's a lyricist, she's a performer. She's mm-hmm. fucking She learns art she learned art She learned archery? She learned archery? Damn. Award winning actress? Yeah. Have a flaw. <laughs> <laughs> just too just too fucking amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess like you know, I guess this is this is good a time as any because now that we're getting into Kate Bishop specifically, and also just like about like, it is interesting that like having someone like Haley Steinfeld play a character like Kate Bishop, who I think is supposed to be this is kind of Kate Bishop in a nutshell. Not that she can't get in over her own head, but like she is kind of meant to be kind of if she wasn't empathetic and compassionate towards people, she would be like a girl boss, right? Like she would be she would be like kind of an awful rich hyper competent person. And 
I don't know why this run didn't really focus on that with her. Like, her wealth is kind of just an afterthought, you know? That, like, you know, she she naturally does things and kind of, like, uh, you know, stumbles around a little bit. She blows up that, uh, she actually knocks down that bell tower at the beginning of the story. But that's really it. It's kind of just more to depict her as naive and, like, kind of, like, doesn't quite know her own strength. Not as, like, spoiled, almost. But she definitely is, because there's this scene where Hawkeye comes in and he's like, this is your house? I could live here? Shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the wrong business. Yeah, I'm in the wrong business. Like, yeah, there there is definitely a wealth aspect to it. Every time her mom's like, it's okay, honey, I love you. Just come to this fancy soiree I'm holding at Rockefeller Plaza like I do every week and every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be a giant wine cellar underneath. There's going to be some there's <laughs> going to be some covert. They're going to be selling t- triceratops heads and shit like that. Yeah, she's incredibly spoiled. And I think anybody watching the show would know that. But I do think it's kind of interesting that the narrative doesn't really play into that. No, um, the themes don't try to discuss that at all. Maybe they will in a future season. Yeah, it's it, it's one of those things that I feel like has to do with. <laughs> It feels so weird because the story is a Christmas story. The story is about the the story the run they're pulling on is about like has so much to do with class. And it reminds me right. how many Christmas stories have to do with class too. About like the nature of like, hey, I'm trying to care for the people I I trying to care for everyone in my life, and I just don't have the means for it. I like just don't have the ability because whether whether because I have to work or I you know I can't give them what they what they need. I can't provide for them. There's so many of these stories in both Christmas and in superhero, for that matter, that play with this idea. And how much of that just gets dropped altogether in this in this MCU Christmas story that is between you know, that Kate Bishop is a part of. That like she's trying to also show up for Clinton that way. And admittedly, I think that this little scene of them kind of spending Christmas time together and them kind of exchanging stories and them kind of uh, trick-shotting coins. Like, I, I think that that's really endearing. I think that's, like, the closest we get to actual, like, character, like, character beats. Right. Uh, right, that there aren't just, like, kind of, like, plot stuff happening and them reacting to it. But it, it feels it feels like a little bit of a letdown that we don't quite play into that at all. And we right. don't see more done with that specifically. Because even if, you know, Kate Bishop can provide all those, like, the ugly sweaters, the movies for Clint... There's that nature of like, well, she can't replace his family, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not something we ever really see grappled with, you know? Yeah, why do we see families replaced more in the MCU? <laughs> um, no, I mean, to your point about class, the the MCU has a very, very interesting relationship with class. We start mm-hmm. with Iron Man, right? Mm-hmm. Iron Man is is this rich billionaire guy who made his money off of selling weapons to both sides of wars. Um, Mm -hmm. specifically, I think Iraq and Afghanistan are the ones that are being drawn upon in that first film. And that film takes an interesting take and like, Hey, maybe weapons manufacturing and distribution is bad. Yeah. Um, but instead we get, maybe it's bad hot take, but Iron Man is then seen as, well, this wealthy billionaire could still use his money for good and he Mm -hmm. can still do things as an individual, And, like, this individualistic mindset is very typical of, I think, American narratives. Mm -hmm. But what the MCU does as a whole with that later on, and what a lot of people criticized Tom Holland's Spider-Man for being, is Iron Man Jr., his wealth and class struggles aren't really there because Iron Man is basically funding him the entire time, right? Yeah. Um, His consequences are then being uh, erased with Tony's wealth. And so now with Iron Man, with Iron Man gone because RDJ has taken his multi-million dollar deal and walked away <laughs> and <laughs> with Tom Holland maybe considering leaving. Um, yeah, I- I'm totally not surprised that we get introduced to another rich character. It seems yeah. like this is maybe almost a part of the the fantasy. Yeah, like, there, there's there's a weird, deep, I think truly american identity of i will never be that rich mm-hmm. but i can dream to be that rich someday yeah and i think that that is a narrative that's taking over subconsciously rather than earnestly saying well i identify more with these working class people i'll never be 
I I am much further away from those billionaires than I am from than I am from working class people like comic book Hawkeye or yeah. comic book Peter Parker. So yeah, I, I wonder if this is an aspect of of a fantasy that's that's coming across here. What do you think, Michael? I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think you know the the, the MCU so desperately doesn't want to be about that because I feel like in this in this age where Disney is slowly monopolizing every single thing, you know how how many how much way can we get from that without being critical, like without being like materializing that criticism of something in something uh, true, which would be something like Disney, which is the easiest slam dunk uh, slam dunk thing ever. But this show's on Disney Plus. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. you know, it does feel like the MCU, like you said, has just has a track record of doing this. Of like, oh, well, there's this, you know, really rich guy, but he's not that bad, right? You know, he 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 has a change of heart. It is about him redeeming himself. It is about him ultimately learning to be a better person at the end of it. And it's like, it, it feels only fucked up just because, like I said, the, the run they're pulling on plays with this idea so much. And then there are also notions of that in this story. Like, I do think the nature of every single time Kate Bishop gets a hit and gets a cut on her face or gets a cut wherever or a bruise, that bruise or cut stays with her till the finale. Like, those 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 wounds never heal because she doesn't have a regenerative healing ability. She doesn't have mm-hmm. those things. Uh, she doesn't even really know how to apply a bandage to herself as, you know, Clint Barton has to kind of help her with that. You know, mm-hmm. these there are notions that are really interesting here. Even the notion that they have to go to, like, a, you know, a, a convenience store to get stuff. Is, is is still interesting to me but of course like you know no no one's uh no one no one's like counting bills it's kind of just it's kind of more for flavor and that's the part that can feel superficial about the whole thing right it's mm-hmm. it's all very superficial because this this is the other big thing which i think much like iron man there is a, a kate bishop specifically having to reconcile with the fact that like oh my mom's a my mom's part of this like cd underground crime boss uh you know she's involved with kingpin She's involved with the people who've been both trying to kill my hero and trying to kill, uh, you know, causing a bunch of, like, uh, harm to everybody else, right? You know, Kate Bishop in the in the comic has this same dilemma, too. It's just her dad instead of her mom. And her, her answer to that is to be like, fuck that. And so she kind of just, like, kind of fucks off to go hang out with Clint all the time. And mm-hmm. for, for, for all intents and purposes, kind of abandons her wealth because she recognizes, oh, all of this is fucked. And so I'm just going to go and do my own thing, which, you know, obviously isn't perfect. She's still kind of the byproduct of that. And that run never forgets that. But once again, we don't see all that or any any real conversation with that happen with Kate Bishop in this run until like episode six, where it's revealed that her uh, Eleanor Bishop is involved with Kingpin. And dun, so dun, it's, dun. it's all just backloaded at the end. And so as a result, they're trying to do a lot in that final episode on top of having all those action scenes, on top of Yelena also being there, on top of, like, Clint's, Clint's being like, oh, I used to murder a bunch of people. I used to kill a bunch of uh, <laughs> people of color who are in gangs. But it's okay, I feel bad about it now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that, like, this is this is the level where, like, I think... First, as charming as I really like this interpretation of Kate Bishop, the the confrontation, the 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 ultimate moment where she's like, "Oh, I'm 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 being confronted with the worst parts of this," and this is like the 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 moment that's kind of meant to break her. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hit the same because like that 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 work just isn't done throughout the run, you know, or throughout the series. Yeah, that idea that that class work isn't really done. Hmm. It, it's instead played more towards heroism. Hmm which is a fun little bait and switch the MCU likes to do. Yeah, um I think in that respect it does hit the the uh what's the line that Eleanor gives back to her? It's like you shouldn't do this to your mother. Oh, is this what heroes do that arrest their mothers on Christmas? Yeah, I love that line. Mhm. I love that. Mhm. What what a shitty mom. What, what an awful and, mom, yeah. What an awful mother. And and it's funny because it really does highlight it does underscore like, oh, yeah, she has been a bad mom this entire time. She hasn't mm-hmm. really been caring about her best interests. She's mostly been concerned about maintaining her wealth mm-hmm. and maintaining her, her position of power. Mm-hmm. And once again, like, I, I'm saying those words right now out loud 
it blows my mind that we still seem to to not highlight that this is about wealth and power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. As a narrative, it's it's very frustrating. But once again, that's like, but that still isn't at the forefront of my mind when I think about this show. Mm-hmm. I still think about the relationship between Kate and uh, and Clint, which is all right at best. And yeah. what I'm interested in, Michael, is do you think that Clint deserves the change that he sees in his past? And I guess maybe to conclude our thoughts on this first, um, do you think um, Kate deserves her final moment with with her mom, basically? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll answer the, the mom one because I feel like that's easier. I think mm-hmm. yes. I think yes, because, you know, if they're going to play up, you know, uh, this version of Kate who's very naive about the world around her and doesn't like kind of see what's right in front of her face... It makes sense, kind of like, oh boy, kind of like, kind of like Tom Holland giving the glasses to Mysterio, being like, oh, I trusted Beck. I thought he was my friend. I thought this person was looking out for me. And, you know, lo and behold, that wasn't true. And I think the same thing with, you know, K Bishop being like, I, I, I you know, I thought I could trust you. I thought I had this kind of like unabashed belief that you had my best interest at heart and you didn't. And like, I'm willing to, like, of course, like, you know, we all exist in this world. We all have troubled relationship with family. It doesn't have, it doesn't have to do that much work for me to uh, understand that, like, yeah, this this parental figure in her life is extremely failing and is also like like low key manipulating her. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I, I think on the interpersonal level, I do think it works, and I do think that on like some level, that's kind of what superheroes are trying to be, right? They're trying to be, you know, uh, individuals who are stand-ins for a larger ideology, right? Mm-hmm. The only downside I think there is just they don't quite have the ideology to to give to those individuals to kind of make those uh, moments feel like they they go beyond their their characters. Yeah. Even if, of course, I still like that line. I still like that final confrontation. And I like that that Kate Bishop gets that scene because naturally, if this wasn't clear enough by the end of this, I really like this run. Mm -hmm. I really like this interpretation of her, even if I do think it's a little bit much more like uh, Stephanie Brown. I love Stephanie Brown, so uh, big fan. Uh, for Clint, you know, it's one of those things where it's like I don't think this story wants to be about redemption. Like, there's only one. There's only one way these stories can go. And I think on the on the surface level of Yelena, who I guess we've not spoken about enough, but you know, she's only kind of there tangentially. That Yelena being there and being you know, wanting to fight Clint Barton because she believes. That he killed uh, Black Widow? Right, that's like the reveal at the end of uh, the Black Widow movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like that just commits the ultimate storytelling sin of that's just a misunderstanding. That's just, that's like, it's, it's that's just not true, right? And that's why the, the line I like from that is when Clint's fighting her and he's like, you know, no, she, she, she you know, she chose this and then... Yelena says back to him, well, you should have fought harder. Like, you right. should have tried harder then. Like, because at that point, it's at least acknowledging, oh, okay, so it didn't matter, right? Like, you know, this is all just grief. It didn't matter whether or not you did or didn't. This is just about Yelena's grief in a, in a very real way. Right. And I and I like that beat for her. Um, if I zoom out a little bit and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, should Clint be forgiven for murdering a bunch of people? No. <laughs> like, bro, who do you, you go around fighting a bunch of low-level crime? I wonder who you're going around murdering. <laughs> huh, Kingpin's still on the street. Hmm. wonder why that I, is. I wonder why that is, Clint. Maybe you're not addressing the root cause of everything. That's <laughs> okay. Echo may have taken care of him. That's true. I guess we're talking about what, that. <laughs> yeah, what do, what do you think? What do you think? How do you feel about their, their two, like, kind of uh, climax scenes? Um, I totally agree with you. I I think uh, Clint's scene with Yelena serves Yelena more than it does Clint. Mm -hmm. So I don't exactly care too much. I don't think Clint holistically changes. I agree. I don't think he should be forgiven for murdering what I can only assume is hundreds, maybe thousands of people in five years time. Eh. With Kate, her conclusion feels like a loss of innocence. 
Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent that's deserved. I do wish there was more depth to it. Yeah. I wish there was more nuance to this. I wish there was that angle of wealth attached to it. I like that this is the idea like she idealizes her mom and now, you know, that idealization is gone. Kind of paralleling yeah. Clint a little bit, not really. But yeah, um, I'm more satisfied with Kate's ending than I am with Clint's. Yeah. So uh, maybe now is the time for our wrap up thoughts. Yeah, we're getting to time here. So I will kind of like summarize this in the way that because uh, I guess in the same way we haven't talked about Yelena yet. I think it works twofold here in that. I mean, just to get the obvious out of the way, Kate Bishop gets the belt in my brain. Easy, mm-hmm. hands down. I love this. I am looking forward to seeing Haley Steinfeld and more things uh, MCU related. I think I can't wait for that Young Avengers thing to come out. It's going to be fire. Uh, I hope so. God, yeah. I hope we get a Young Avengers show. Yeah, and the problems, I think, of her characterization, I think, largely come with the pacing of all these shows, where it is a it is, it is a movie-length story stretched out over six episodes. Mm-hmm. And so, as a result, you know, at times, her character feels like it's kind of going nowhere, because it just didn't for a whole episode. Does that mean we at least got to see a whole episode of her, of Haley Steinfeld, kind of improvising and just doing funny stuff? Sure, I still enjoy that. But it does feel like the, the the big thing they wanted to do was have, like you said, that naive loss of innocence kind of thing. And her then kind of have to like reconcile and grapple with that in the future. And when it comes to her relationship with Yelena, it's, it's weird that in that dynamic where they finally get to interact with each other, Yelena kind of acts more like comic book Kate Bishop <laughs> in that she kind of immediately enters a room. I know what I'm doing. I'm catching you on your back foot. You know, like I'm using this surprise all to my benefit. And you're <laughs> playing catch up the entire time. And so to see those two get to bounce off each other and see them even learn from each other in that way, because I guess we haven't mentioned this. That's one of the coolest fights, I think, of their little hallway fight, like joke fight with each other. Mm-hmm. It's really cute. It's really fun. I liked watching it. It, it. it hit all my buttons kind of thing. And so I think as a result, I still look forward to whatever she does or whatever we do with Kate Bishop or uh, whatever the MCU does with Kate Bishop in the future, because the problems I see are just same problems we always have with the MCU. At very least, I like this premise. I like this character. And I think they have uh, they have opportunity to do more with her in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Haley Steifeld kills it as kate yeah this this interpretation of kate is different from comics but whatever um Mm -hmm. i'm not as attached to her maybe as you are i should Mm -hmm. definitely read more young avengers stuff um but with this show i think kate's really entertaining i think she has an interesting direction they could go in i hope they take the wealth aspect of it but Mm -hmm. i'm glad that she uh saw her mom fall from grace and I'm glad yeah. that she learned and she got to struggle and be a totally normal person, human fighting in this extraterrestrial world. So, yeah, yeah she gets the belt. Absolutely. I think the show as a whole is all right. I like the conclusion to the show a lot more than um, I think it's the best actually finale of all the MCU shows. I would agree. Um, we didn't even talk about the great fight sequence with or or the great action sequence with the Rockefeller Center uh, Christmas tree falling down yep. or mm-hmm. the fact that the the car gets um, shrunk by an Ant-Man arrow or or just like the fight sequence between Yelena uh, and and Clint was pretty good, too, on top of the fight sequence between Kingpin and Kate. I You know, yeah. I also like that Kate is fighting Kingpin. I'm going to add that to while we're at it. I like yeah. that this is this seems like a really big enemy for her and that scene and that challenge is really interesting for this character. So rating the show as a whole, I'm going to give it um seven out of ten pizza dogs. Okay. I was I was actually gonna give it four out of five uh crashed windows. <laughs> Alright. Four out of five crashed windows. I like that. I like that. Do broken knees come with that as well? Yes. <laughs> okay. Great. Seven point five broken knees. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and for those keeping score for our, our our little trivia bit here at the end of the for the end of this set of episodes, I believe I am currently at using the 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 one point five I got out of this episode. Right? 
I think I had 1.5 mm-hmm. in the last episode too, so I'm at three points, right? And I'm at four because you gave me two. Gave you two. So you're a point ahead of me, bro. So mm-hmm. we'll see where this goes. Once again, hit us up with those. Hit us up with what you think that would make for a good uh, punishment uh, for next week. So what are we watching next week, Joe? Next week, we will be watching uh, Encanto. And hey. we'll be talking about its main character, uh, Melibel uh, Madrigal. Mm-hmm. And I believe we will be having a guest for this episode, Michael? Yes, we're going to be lucky enough to have Kate Sanchez on, the EIC and co-creator of But Why Though, the network we just joined, to grace us with uh, her presence in the uh, in the next episode. I'm sure she's going to have plenty of wonderful things to say, and I'm really looking forward to talking about this with her. Yeah, absolutely. We're very much looking forward to having her on and for y'all to hear what we have to say about the Mirabel. We're really catch- we're really doing some catch-up work, and I feel like Encanto specifically is that movie. It's like, everyone's like, hey, you know, it'll be whatever, but... You know, I, I'm I'm excited to talk about it. You know, that was the level of positive reaction I had to this movie. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week, everyone. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of Champion Casters. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to keep the conversation going, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at champion underscore cast. You can also email us any of your thoughts or questions at championcasters at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd like to give thanks to the following. Shan Theobald for our logo artwork. Adam Renroe for our intro and outro music. Joseph Tomlin for managing our social media. And Michael Ruiz for editing our episodes. <laughs> and I have been your host, Michael Ruiz. You can find me at twitter.com at next underscore entry. And the video essays I write on my YouTube channel, Next Entry. I have also been your host, Joseph Tomlin. You can find me at twitter.com and Instagram at joke Tomlin. That is J-O-U-K-T-O-M-L-I-N. Thanks again for listening, everyone.